Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and today I'm speaking with Lee Haven Jones and Roger Williams, the creators of The Feast, a new horror film that premiered at South by Southwest, rooted in Welsh folk stories and environmental themes. I wanted to talk to you about this lovely film that I absolutely adore from so many different aspects. One thing that I really want to dive into first before I do anything else, though, is this idea of Welsh folklore for the two of you. Was there any specificity to the Welsh folklore? Because for me personally, I come from a Latin teaching background, and so... I recognize a lot of things that seem to have resonance in Greek mythology, but I wondered if there's Welsh folklore that's specific that I don't know about. We certainly talked about a series of tales called Mabinogion, which are, you know, very old stories about women being made from flowers and people being transformed into animals. And we very much wanted the film to be born from the place where we were making it. So there are references throughout the script in quite subtle ways to the Mabinogion or have been influenced by the Mabinogion, certainly. But that key idea of a powerful woman, a woman seeking revenge, you know, that is is something that comes through very clearly from those stories. Absolutely. But we were very keen as well on making a movie which is also contributing to our contemporary culture. I think because mm-hmm. a a lot of our culture tends to be quite backward-looking or, so, or feeding on history or feeding on things which already exist. We wanted to kind of forge something really which felt very new, very contemporary, and something which, which, which doesn't really exist yet in the Welsh language space. We don't make many movies here, unfortunately. No. And we certainly don't make horror movies. So that's, you know, one of the key things that we were trying to achieve by making this movie. I have to say, I really deeply appreciated the fact that I got to see a horror movie in Welsh. I used to watch some TV shows in Welsh like Care did. I used to really enjoy watching that, but there hasn't been the same wealth of cultural knowledge from Wales that people outside of Wales could enjoy necessarily. So thank you. And I also wanted to know from the directing standpoint, How difficult was it for you to bring in all of this lush cinematography of the countryside and marry it to these dual performances that the actors had to give as their representations of both themselves as written in the script, but also these sort of other entities that they become? We're blessed, aren't we, with landscape in Wales, I think. You are. That's the easy bit, I guess. But like Roger was saying, we didn't want to make a piece that was totally kind of backwards looking and and kind of focusing on what we are known for, but to make something that was also contemporary, I guess, to kind of subvert that horror, but what what a Welsh language horror film might look like, you know. So you think about a Welsh language horror film, you might think it would be set in a stone cottage in the middle of a rather barren, kind of desolate landscape in the middle of winter. But what we decided to do was set it in this house that's made of steel and glass and bricks, which is a bit like a bunker in the landscape. And of course, it's in the summer. So a lot of our intentions were based on trying to sort of subvert cliches, I guess. Of, of Wales and of what it is to be Welsh. And to push the modernity and to push the angle of environmentalism versus modern convenience. 
I love the way that's explored and almost a Scandinavian aesthetic within the film, but it's also very uniquely developed with the way that the story breaks. It's always seeming very connected to the earth in a very uniquely Welsh way, from what I could tell. Kind of interesting that you talk about the Scandinavian aesthetic. I was kind of influenced also by Japanese horror and that sort of Japanese architectural aesthetic, which of course is part of the house. Curiously, I mean, I think we've made a film that is specifically Welsh. Yeah. In that, as, as Roger said, it does kind of draw on the myths and legends of the country. And, you know, in many ways, Caddy is like a modern day Bladeworth who um, wreaks revenge on on the people who are sort of who have captured her and tried to abuse her in that way but also we what i try to make uh, because Roger and i have made quite a bit of work over the over the last few years and, and the one thing that frustrated us and in a, in a way this film is born of frustration to an extent the one thing that's phrase has frustrated us is that that work hasn't necessarily traveled and having sort of analyzed it a little bit as a director i guess it struck me that a lot of our cultural product because we, as a country, sit right next door to one of the biggest cultural powerhouses the world has ever seen, that, that a lot of our cultural product felt very British, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, so what I've tried to do is create something that has a, well, uh, that, that is not British, that, that feels more kind of universal, that draws on other cultures. Yeah, and I guess I'm slightly guilty of sort of cultural appropriation in many ways because it doesn't, I don't think it feels like a British film. I mean, that, no, that, that term in, in itself, I'm not quite sure what it means anyway, but... Who knows what it means at this point? Who knows what it means? <laughs> <laughs> what, what I know, what I do know, however, is that our film is specifically Welsh, but also generally universal. I will tell you, I actually wrote in my notes here, specificity and universality to both her and to the setting, and how much I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to bring that up as a topic, because I feel like in both the script and the way that you craft her as a character, there is a universality to this idea of the subservient woman who gets to wreak her revenge in some way. And there is a beautiful language to that that echoes throughout horror in so many different cultures. I think it's brilliant what you were able to do there. And I also think that horror is a wonderful cultural product for export as well. I think you won there. I wondered also in terms of your decision to push the environmentalism angle in terms of the oil drilling in the script, Roger, was that something that you had always intended to do when you started talking about the mythic legends? Yeah, that was an idea very, very early on, the sense that by breaking the ground, the family disturbing some presence which has been sleeping, it's almost as though the earth can't take it anymore. And it fights back. And of course, the way it fights back is in, in the shape caddy. But we very much wanted to make a, a horror film which was, which was about something. And having admired films like It Follows and Get Out and so forth, we kind of, we very much wanted to have the audience leaving the cinema thinking about the issues that the film was raising. And of course, you know, in terms of a Welsh audience, but specifically, and I think audiences who are from minority cultures, I think they'll take a lot from it as well in terms of the way people can reject their traditions, their way of life as well, and what is lost when people do that. So, you know, there's, 
there's a there's a lot of stuff packed in. It's just that we don't necessarily expose it all in a very obvious way for the audience. But it's all in that line, right? After you've taken everything, what will be left? That line really says it all, and that's quite brilliant. I also wonder, in terms of talking about the male characters within the film, too, one thing that I appreciated about the way that the two sons are depicted was it sort of felt like two versions of masculinity that have both been harmed by kind of these definitions of masculinity in different ways. One who becomes violent and one who becomes so disconnected from everything because he can't deal. I just wondered if you wanted to comment on that at all, or if I'm completely out of left field on that. What's great about what you're saying is it's all there. And I think that was how Roger intended it. It's great talking to you because, you know, you get it <laughs> in such a fantastic way. You know, your reading of the film is just super intelligent, actually. The sons are two boys who have been raised with everything they could possibly want in terms of money and objects. The one thing they haven't had is enough love, I think, probably. They've also been raised away from their cultural home, away from yeah. the place where they should have been born. There's a lot of reference to London yeah. in the yeah. script, which is deliberate. So we have two grown men whose lives have gone off track, who would be quite capable of just opening that door and walking away, but neither are able to do it. They give the impression that they are both prisoners in this house in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they can't function. They haven't been given the skills that they need to function. And they've been corrupted in very different ways. And they both have their addictions, as do all the characters. There's a very definite choice to make those brothers, while they're both suffering from the same malaise, to make them very different. Mm -hmm. One is artistic. One has gone into the sciences and one is abusing himself while the other looks to abuse other people. So, yeah, you can read it on one level, I guess, but actually there's a hell of a lot going on with those two men, which is never actually, actually vocalized. No, there is. And also in terms of the relationship with the father, I would assume. I think what's fascinating is that uh, about your critique is that it's very in-depth, but actually the piece is it's not particularly specific about what is going on between mm -hmm. those brothers and, and it doesn't delve into great detail, but I think what we've tried to do is to give the audience enough detail then, and then the space to allow them, allow it to go off and to almost sort of project their own stories onto this piece of work. I often spoke with the actors about the idea that um, the analogy was it's a, this film is a bit like going into um, a, a, an art gallery and often with art galleries there are rather large spaces empty relatively empty quite economically kind of decorated and then there's just an object at the center of it and then as as viewers we sort of project our own stories then onto that object and give it meaning well that's my guiding principle as a director actually is just to sort of allow the audience a space or the viewer a space to kind of make the creative leap within their imaginations and fill in the gaps within the story so you've created that painting in the living room, is what you're saying? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. The paint, yes. The film is that painting. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. Absolutely. 
I love that analogy also, just because I think you sort of lay out the map and the groundwork for what it is, but it's up to everyone to interpret for themselves. I know for me as a Latin teacher, I see echoes of Circe from Greek mythology in the character of Kadi. I see the pyre and the echoclema of the wheelbarrow of bodies being hauled off the stage and things like that, that I wouldn't expect anyone else to see in this movie. But it's, it's, all, it's all in there, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, well, I, interestingly, whether it's conscious or not, it's, I, just, I just love hearing people talk about it because everybody has their own story and, and connects with the piece in, in, a, in a certain way. I mean, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. I mean, the, 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 the one, and I don't, I, I've never spoken to Roger about this, actually, the one piece that I love, which, of course, is direct from Shakespeare, it seems to me, is the, is the scene where, I shouldn't say this because I'm spoiling the story, but it's a bit like, what's the name of that play? Titus Andronicus. Titus Andronicus was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, which, which I, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know to this day, was that intended, Roger? I can't remember. I was conscious of it. It's interesting that you pick up all those classical references because I studied a lot of epic poetry when I was at college. Um, nice. So nice. on a very, you know, these are my reference points. Yeah. Alongside Succession and Friends and Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff I, I consume. It's quite useful for you, Roger, that you can refer to these classical references because otherwise it would, well, it would expose you as being a very disturbed individual, wouldn't it? If you if you kind of cloak it in the in classical literature, it, it sort of makes it acceptable suddenly, doesn't it? Right, right. It's totally acceptable to <laughs> have all of these plots about people killing each other and marrying their mother. And yeah, we talked a lot about theatricality. That's something that we both love because we both come from theatre and the start of our careers. And I think we were very interested in something which was cinematic, but become theatrical yeah and that is the, that's the journey isn't it it's, it's it starts in a very naturalistic kind of way and you sort of think it's one it's a certain type of film and yet it sort of develops into this sort of theatrical horror towards the end and that was that was intentional really yeah the, the other theater reference i kept on saying to the actors was and, and we've sort of referenced all that talk about london it's a bit like um Chekhov, but kind of gone wrong in that they mm. all reference moscow and uh, like, London is Moscow. Absolutely. Oh, London, London. Let's go to London. And they chop down the cherry orchard. And, she, and then Caddy chops the cherry orchard down, yeah. <laughs> so it goes. So it goes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for this lovely interview. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for such an erudite film and such a wonderful discussion of it. And I wish you good luck at the festival. And I hope we cross paths again soon. Thank you very much. Great conversation. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing.
Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Thank you.